couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we returned to a series called Beginnings, where we're looking at the book of Genesis, and we've kind of been doing this in, checks, in, in little sections and so on, and we started off talking about what we learned from Genesis 1 and 2 in creation. We said it's just foundational that we understand that, that it is God who has created us, and that we were created in his image, and that God created everything good, that there is only one God, and, and all things are in his hands. And so we, we started off talking about creation, and then we went into that next section about the fall, how Adam and Eve... And somehow we in Adam and Eve rebelled against God, said we want to do it our way, we don't want to listen to you, and, and, and how that broke everything, how after the fall everything was twisted and it didn't work the way it was supposed to. And, and then we spent some time looking at what I called earlier history or, or world history where, where we said, you know what, God is dealing with everybody, all right? We have the flood in this section here, uh, we have the Tower of Babel uh, and, and, and a number of other stories, but God is kind of dealing with everybody. And, and then a couple of weeks ago we came back to this and said, now God is going to start a new chapter. God is going to start a new chapter in how he's dealing with the world and how he's going to make all things new, how he's going to restore all things. And what God is going to do is he's going to start a family. He's going to start with one individual. Uh, He's going to start with one individual, and he's going to build that family, and through them, he's going to bring salvation to the world. And so we're kind of calling this next chapter, God Starts a Family. And and, and with his number one pick, we talked about that last week, with his number one pick, God picks a, a name that we're familiar with, but that nobody in the world at that time would have been familiar with, Abraham. A guy by the name of Abram, he was an insignificant person who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, all right? And, and, and so again, let me just kind of remind you of, of Abram's story a little bit right at the beginning, and that'll set us up for, for what we're going to be looking at today. As I said, Abram was born and, and lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is over in that section of the world. It was, the Chaldean Empire was the largest empire, the most powerful empire at this time. Uh, the Egyptian Empire was kind of in a little bit of a lull, so the, the uh, Chaldeans were the strongest there, and and and. Abram is there, and God calls him. We talked about that last week. We said a couple of things, that that God's call was radical. It was a call to leave everything behind and go to a new place, that God's call was radical, and that God's call was powered by promises. He said to Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you good things. And Abram, the father of faith, is amazing, and he believes, and he follows. He goes, first of all, here to Haran, up into this area, stays there for a few years until his father, Terah, dies, and then he completes the journey, all right? He completes the mission, and he makes it down here to the, to the, to the promised land. And, and, and what we talked about how last week was that, last week was how that was kind of a, a picture of how God calls all of us, all right? That he calls us to, to leave behind our, our identity. He calls us to leave behind our security and to put our lives in his hands, right? To trust him, to surrender, as, as we've been singing this morning, to, to put our lives in God's hands. And, and what we see in the first nine verses of Genesis 12 is that Abram is full of faith, all right? He is somebody who trusts God. He is somebody who does it. He leaves it all behind. He lays it all, the line, all on the line, and he goes wherever God calls him to go. And we say, all right, this is who we want to be like. This is who we want to follow. We're going to see what happens when Abram gets into the land this morning. And we're going to see that Abram is way too much like you and way too much like me. We're going to focus in our, our map on this area here, all right? So I want to kind of bring that up a little bit and, and, and look at this area. Shechem is the first place that we're told that, that Abram goes, all right? It's the first place he stops at. It's a beautiful area in Israel. It's, it's a wonderful little place. And, and, and there, this is what the Lord says to Abram. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land, okay? This is the place. 
This is the place where you belong, Abram. This is what I talked about when I said I would make you into a great nation. This is where it is. And so he's at Shechem there. He moves um, with his family after a little while down to Bethel, not too far away between Bethel and Ai, actually. And then we're told that he moves down a little bit further to what is called the Negev, or the Negev. And, and, and he comes kind of into this area here, which would be just south of where Jerusalem is today, if you know how Israel is like. Now, he's still in the land, okay? He's, he's still in the land. This is kind of the outline of what the land is going to be that his children are going to inherit. So, so Abram is where God wants him to be, all right? He's trusted God. He's put his hand, life in God's hands, and, 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 and he's surrendered all, and he worships God, and he makes these altars. And then something happens. Then something happens. And, and, I, and I want you to recognize this. I, I want to step back a second before I tell you what happens, before we get to verse 10. And I want to tell you something that uh, some of you may have heard. I, I talked about it a couple of years ago, but it's, it's, I think, really helpful in understanding this. It's going to take us, you've got to concentrate for a couple of minutes here, all right? But, but what I want us to recognize, and, and I think this is important, as, as this story in Genesis is told by Moses, okay? We're told that in other places in Scripture, that the Pentateuch, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the first five books of the Bible, they're the books of Moses, all right? So Moses is telling these stories about Abraham to the children of Abraham, to the children of Israel, after they leave Egypt, okay? Now, let me give you a picture of this so that I think you can understand this, all right? There's the promised land up there. We're going to discover about 500 years later, 450 years later, the people of Israel, Abram's descendants, are going to be slaves in Egypt, okay? So they are there in that place. God's going to send Moses. He sends Moses as his representative to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Okay, and God does these miracles, and God saves his people, and he rescues them. We call it the Exodus. And they leave Egypt, and they go across the Red Sea. They come down to Mount Sinai, and they get the Ten Commandments, and then they're going to go into the land. All right, some of you know the story. They get there, and they don't have faith. They don't trust God, that God can really defeat the enemies. They send some spies into the land. And so God says, all right. After you saw what I did to the Egyptians, you're worried about this. This whole generation is going to have to die off, all right? I'm going to have to teach you more about trusting me. And so for the next 40 years, they end up wandering around in the desert, all right? For 40 years, they're just kind of going around and around in the desert, hanging out. Now, this is when, okay, think about this. Just, Just think about this. This is when Moses is teaching them. This is when Moses is telling them the stories that we read in Genesis, the truth that we read in Genesis. As they're wandering in the desert, as they're waiting to go into the promised land, I mean, eventually they will go into the promised land. Eventually they will go to there, but, but not yet, okay? So they're wandering around in the desert, and Moses is saying, all right, look, you guys have been in Egypt for 400 years. You've gotten crazy information, all right? You've been inundated with all this crazy Egyptian stuff, and it's wrong. So let me tell you the truth about creation, about who you are. Let me tell you the truth about how things went bad and about the fall. Let me tell you about the flood. Let me tell you about, and then let me tell you now. And so Moses is telling them about Father Abraham. Moses is telling them about Father Abraham and how Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans, how he went up to Haran, and then how he made his way down to the promised land. And he's talking about Shechem. None of these people have ever been to Shechem. But it's the promised land. It's the land of milk and honey. It is the place that everything is good, and that's where they are. They're on their way to that promised land. He says, so we went to Shechem, and then he went to Bethel and Ai. I'll take you there. I'll take you there. You can, Moses is saying, you know, it's going to be awesome. We're going to tell you all about this, and, and, and you're going to see all this stuff. And then he was in the Negev, all right? 
And, and so they're all like, yeah, this is the promised land. This is our forefather. This is Abraham. We are the children of Abraham. He was full of faith, and he was in the land, and we're making our way to the promised land. And then look at what the next verse says. <laughs> now, there was a famine in the land. And you can imagine just the people of Israel hearing this and going, time out. <laughs> Excuse me? We left Egypt because there was a famine. This is the promised land. You said it was the land flowing with milk and honey. This is crazy. What about the promises of God? What's going on here? How can this be? Abram was completely obedient. God took him to the land, says this is the place. And what happens? The rain stops. And there's no crops. And there's no food. And there's a crisis. What about the promises? You can imagine Abraham himself, I mean, saying, God, excuse me, this is what happens? I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've done it exactly the way you told me to do it. I have left everything behind, and I get here, and this is your promise? I mean, don't you remember what you said? You said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Time out, God. Time out. And I think it's important for us just to stop here for a second. I think it's important for us just to stop here a second because there's an important lesson in this. And, and, and we need to know this. The lesson here, and, and I'll come back to it at the end, but the lesson here is that sometimes there are famines in the promised land. So, sometimes there are famines in the promised land. In a broken world, sometimes we have famines, even when we're right where God wants us. In a broken world, sometimes things just go wrong. And, 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 and sometimes I think there are preachers out there who, 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 who preach in such a way that they say, you know, if you're in God's will, everything's going to be great. If you do what God wants, then he's going to bless you financially and physically and all these things. It's simply not the biblical story. Abraham is right where God wants him to be, and there's no food. He, is, he has done nothing wrong, and, and there's no food. And, and, and sometimes, friends, that's just the way it goes. Sometimes it's just the way it goes. And, and we need to recognize that. And the question is not whether we will go through difficult times. The question is, will we trust God even when this, there's a famine in the promised land? Will we trust God even when we really genuinely believe and know that we are where God wants us to be? Will we still put our lives in God's hands? And that's what Abram has to decide. I mean, here he is. Here he is. And, and, and this is a legitimate crisis. I mean, this is real. This is a severe famine. And he's in the land. But what does he do? He hears words from those who have been here longer. This is not the first famine in this land. He hears stuff from those who've been here longer about going down to Egypt. Because Egypt has food. And that's what he ends up doing. There's a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live for a while. Live there for a while. Because the famine was... Severe, okay? So, so there's this terrible famine, and he goes down to Egypt. Now, again, Moses telling this story, the people would have understood, okay? Again, if we go to this, here is where the Negev is, this is where Abram is, and this is Egypt over here. Now, whenever you're reading the Bible, when you read Egypt, think Nile River. Because what Egypt is, at its core, is the Nile River. The Nile River flows, I don't know if it's the only one in the world that flows from south to north, but it flows from the south to the north, you can see it, it goes right through here, and then it spreads out there at the end. And the Nile River is what gave life to Egypt. You see, Egypt did not depend on rain. Israel did. 
If the rain stopped, the crops died. Egypt, it was the river that started in, in the mountains of Ethiopia, and the Nile flowed, and every year, every year, June, July, August, in there, every year what would happen is the Nile would overflow its banks, okay? And, and, and the water would just cover all of this area. There are temples, so interesting. I was there a couple of years ago, four years ago, now something like that. But there are temples built near enough to the Nile, but still maybe a mile away, that they're built, intended that, this, that they're going to get flooded every year. Because what happens is the water floods everywhere, and then when it recedes, it leaves behind this wonderful, silty, great, productive soil. And that's why Egypt was considered the breadbasket of the world. That's what it was called at that time. It was the breadbasket. It was the place where there was always stuff growing. It was the place where there was always that kind of life. And so Abram is here in, he's in the Negev, which is generally dry and now just arid. There is no food, and there's food in Egypt. And he doesn't ask God, he just goes, all right? He just goes and he heads down on his way to Egypt. Question for you, was it wrong? Was it wrong for Abram to go to Egypt? What, I mean, was it, was it really bad? Should he have not done that? I, 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 again, it's a legitimate crisis, and, 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 and I gotta just believe, if you think of his wife, if you think of nephew Lot, you think of the other people that with him, they were saying what you and I say a lot, at least under our breath. It's the real world. It's the real world. Abram, you can talk about your God, and you can talk about your spiritual life, and you can talk about having integrity and no compromise. You can talk about all that you want on on Sundays. You can talk about all you want on Thursdays. But the reality is we need food. This is the real world. And your nice little world where God just provides everything doesn't work here. And so you've got to go. We've got to get out of here. There's food, and we've got to go. And it's understandable but it's still wrong. I think we have to see that this is a, a slippage of faith for Abram. He, he should have stayed in the land. He should have consulted God. He should have waited on God and trusted in God. But understand how hard it was. Understand how hard it was. And besides, he didn't, as we, far as we know, didn't have a command that you have to stay in the land. I mean, he could rationalize this way. There's food there. I don't think it'll be too bad. I think sometimes in a broken world, you have to compromise. Sometimes in a broken world, you just have to get the job done. Sometimes you have to take matters into your own hands. And that's what Abram does. Is he just compromises a little bit. I mean, he's just going to go for a little while. And when the famine's done, he'll come back to the land. Moses tells us that when he gets to the edge of the land, he stops. He stops. You see, he's heard other stories about the Egyptians. He's a Chaldean, but now he's heard some stories about the Egyptians from the people in the land. And and he realizes something. And so he stops before he goes into the land. And and again, you can imagine this happening, right? I mean, if you were driving this, and and it's like he stops the car, and he turns to his wife. And and he says this, as, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are, okay? Now, he's not just buttering her up here, okay? Any woman, you probably just went, yeah, right. What's coming next? I mean, something is, but the fact is she is beautiful, okay? But he says, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And, and he knows that in Egypt, they didn't care about foreigners. In, 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 in fact, the only humans in Egypt, the word for human is Egyptian. 
Anybody who was not an Egyptian was not really human. And so if you take a beautiful woman into Egypt as your wife, there was no law against killing you and taking her, okay? Abram says, he says, you know what? When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So when the Egyptians see you, they will say, excuse me. And, and, and again, this is another legitimate concern, all right? Um, this is a, an, an, another legitimate problem. The fact is this would have happened. And, 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 and so what Abram says to do is this. He says, say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. All right, so that's his plan. Now, again, he's, he's left the promised land, a little compromise. He gets to the edge of Egypt and he said, we've got another problem. So here's, here's what we're going to do. Let's say you're my sister, not my wife. Then they won't kill me. Was it wrong to do this? Have we stepped over the line this time? The fact is, we're going to learn later in the story, they did share some common relatives. It was a bit of a stretch to call her sister, but they did share some, some common relatives. And, and, and I think that the heart of Abram's plan is this, okay? Abram's plan is to say, look, if I'm your brother, what I can do, I can set the bride price so high. I can set the bride price so high that nobody can marry you, right? So you're beautiful. Somebody's going to come along, and they're going to say, hey, I want to marry this woman. Uh, she's beautiful. What, what's the cost? And he's going to say, ah, you know, we got some folks back in Canaan. They want her uh, 20 million. I'm like, I can't afford that. Ah, sorry. And so he just sets the price really high. So he's protected. So Sarah's protected. I mean, he's really doing his best not to make a big mess out of this thing. And so it's only a little half truth. It's only a little bit of a problem. But again, I think we have to recognize that it is a further compromise of his faith. It's a lie. It's, it's not accurate. He's, he, he's not telling everybody who she really is. That, that, and, and he's not trusting God. He's taking matters into his own hands. He's saying, I have to take care of this myself. And, and, and so once again, we see him compromising just a little bit by a little bit. And, and so he makes the rest of that journey from where he had stopped, and they go all the way down into the heart of Egypt and into that place. I want to stop here and just suggest that we recognize that this is a picture of what so often happens in our lives, okay? This is, I think, the way most of us fall into sin. This is the way most of us find ourselves in the middle of Egypt, the way most of us find ourselves in messes. The fact is we often face legitimate threats, okay? I mean, it might be a loss of a job. It might be a broken relationship. It might be illness. I mean, the fact is, sometimes in this broken world, we get into dark places, we get into difficult places, and we feel like we're where God wants us to be, but there's a famine in the land. Sometimes there are famines in the promised land, and so we do that, and, 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 and we don't intentionally set out to disobey God. I, I don't think many of us here sin boldly, okay? Most of us don't say, God, I don't care what you want. I'm going to do it my way. You know how most of us do it? Just a quarter inch at a time. Just a little bit at a time. We make those little compromises. You know, maybe I'll go down and, 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 and just go down there for a little while, get some food, and then I'll come right back. I know I'm supposed to be in land, but I'm just going to go do this just for a little while. And then well, we'll, we'll just tell this little lie, and, and, and we'll just make these little compromises. And you and I do that so often. We sin, and we get into bad situations a quarter of an inch at a time, just little by little. We, I mean, right, we don't report all of our income. I mean, the government has plenty of money, 
right? I mean, we all know that. They got plenty. They get plenty of mine. So it's not a big deal if I lie a little bit on my taxes. Everybody does. In fact, they probably assume I do, so they overtax me. And so it's, it's not, I'm not being really disobedient. I'm going to give more of the money to church. I'm going to do that. I, I, that's how I'll do that. Uh, at work, we engage in um, innocent flirting. Just that little wink at the secretary, just a little wink at the boss, whatever it is. Just this little back rub, just this little fun thing, just this little part. And I don't want to do anything with this. This is not, and, and it's just, okay, I know it's probably not wise, <laughs> but it's not really wrong. It's not way over the line. I'm not having an affair. I, I'm just some innocent flirting. I'm just letting off some steam. I mean, come on, it's the 4th of July weekend. Don't I get one time this summer that I get to just get drunk once? It's just so much pressure. I'm just, it's just once. It's just, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to let off a little bit of steam. I'm just going to give myself a break for a, a while and I'll get some porn. I'm just, and, and, and it's just a quarter inch at a time. And nobody else is going to get hurt. And, and it's not going to be damaging to anybody else. And, and, and it's a little half-truth. And little by little, we keep making these compromises. And all too often we end up where we never wanted to be. Abram is in the middle of Egypt, okay, with Sarai. And at first, the plan is working, okay? First, it is, okay? They're getting food. And and when Abram came to Egypt, it says, verse 14, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And so I would imagine people were coming up to Abram saying, is she available? Uh, What's the cost? How might this work out? Could we get a deal here? Um, But he's able to turn everybody away, all right? At the beginning, First, the plan is working, and, and, then, and then it happens. Then, then comes the one thing that Abram hadn't counted on, the one thing he hadn't predicted. Verse 15, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. <laughs> Pharaoh. You don't tell Pharaoh $20 million. You don't negotiate with Pharaoh. You don't, you don't do that. Pharaoh gets what Pharaoh wants. In Abram's plan, his airproof plan, his airtight plan has a leak. And friends, all of our airtight plans do. I mean, that's the problem. We do these little compromises and we never intend. But all of a sudden we wake up one day and we say, how did I get here? How did I get into this place. I didn't intend to disobey God. I didn't intend to put my marriage on the line. I didn't intend to put the inheritance on the line. I didn't intend to ruin everything. None of us do. None of us do. But by a series of little compromises, by a series of of little compromises under big pressure, we end up where we never want to end up. Again, at one level, Abram is now stuck. I mean, he's the brother-in-law to Pharaoh. At one level, that's kind of good, all right? He ends up getting all sorts of stuff. He, that is Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. Abram gets rich. And I, I wish we could know how he felt at that moment. Was there any part of him that felt like, okay this is all right. We'll figure something out, but I kind of like being rich. I kind of like being the brother-in-law for hours. He's like, I'm a dead man. In fact, as Moses knows that, Abram, we have a problem. 
we have a problem. You think about it. Remember what's going on. God has promised Abram. God is going to work through Abram. And, and he's not in the land. He's left that. And his wife is in Pharaoh's household. He's supposed to have all these kids. He's supposed to have more kids than there are stars in the sky. He's supposed to have a nation come out of him. And his wife is now in Pharaoh's household. And, and so while he's growing richer, in the literal sense of the word, he's, he's in big trouble. He's stuck. It's bad for Abram, okay? It really is. He's in a situation where, where he has disobeyed God, and, and he's got now this huge problem, what he's going to do about it. But it's also bad for Sarai. I mean, she is stuck in Pharaoh's household. And, and, and part of the reason I want to think about that is that, again, so often we rationalize our sin away. How? By saying it only affects me. Your sin never just affects you. Abram's sin never just affects Abram. Your sin never just affects you. It affects the people near to you. If you're disobeying God at work, it affects your marriage. If you're disobeying God in other places, it affects other relationships. It affects your parents. It affects your kids. It affects the way they're going to live. It is bad. And don't rationalize and say, look, I can get away with this because it just impacts me. It's bad for Abram. It's bad for Sarah. In fact, it's bad for the whole world. It's bad for the whole world. Again, remember, how is this going to work? Abram is going to be a blessing to everybody. The whole world is going to be blessed through Abram's offspring, but now Abram doesn't have a wife to have the offspring with. And, and, and there's damage to the whole world. And, and I want you to think about that. I want us to, to be honest about that. I want you to recognize something, that if, if God's plan for others, if God's plan is for others to see him in us, our sin puts others at risk. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, look, at right now, you are called to be the light of the world. God's plan for how your neighbors are going to come to Christ, are going to experience life, is by looking at you. When you live a, a reckless life, when you live a sinful life, when you live a disobedient life, and I don't want to lay this on through thick, but this is the reality. When we live arrogant, proud, sinful lives claiming to be Christians, then it does unbelievable damage to our neighbor who needs to see Christ in us. It does damage to our neighbors who need to see Christ in us. It does damage to our kids who need to see Christ in us. For the sake of your kids and your grandkids, live a life that honors God. When we choose to compromise, when we choose to disobey God, we end up putting ourselves in a situation where it's not just our problem, but it impacts the people around us and it impacts the the world around us. Again, we don't save anybody. Don't, I'm not saying that. But we are God's tools. We are God's instruments. We are the light of the world. Jesus Christ, his plan is to shine through us. And if that is God's plan, then when we compromise and when we live in sin, we put others at risk. Abram is stuck. But the good news is that God is not. This is not the end of the story. And we need to recognize this. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Again, I kind of want to say, God, why didn't you nail Abram? <laughs> you probably should have. Maybe just recognized Abram would have gotten the message anyway. But, but Pharaoh's house, and somehow Pharaoh realizes this is because of Sarai. We don't know how. We're not told how he knows it, but he knows it. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and said, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she was, is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And think about what's happening right at this moment. 
And this is a challenge to me and to you. The outsider is more holy than the insider. Abram is receiving, is receiving godly correction from an ungodly person. It's possible, and sometimes it happens. Sometimes when that neighbor who doesn't go to church calls you on your behavior, sometimes that is the voice of God. Sometimes that is God speaking through that person, and sometimes outsiders. You know, it'd be nice if we could say, well, we, always, we have a higher moral standard, and the world cannot. The fact is the world can sometimes judge us. They still, have, they still have God's conscience in their hearts. They still have a sense of the holy. They still have that. And sometimes God uses the world to correct us. And, 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 and we need to be aware of that, that sometimes God's word comes to us through people like Pharaoh. So Pharaoh says, why'd you do this to me? Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram goes with Sarah and Lot and the others back to the land. He's wealthier. Fact is, we're going to be told next chapter that he's extremely wealthy. He's so wealthy, it's going to create another problem, and that's next week. But he goes back, and he's wealthy. But the question we're going to have to ask ourselves, is he any wiser and is he any more ready to trust God? So what do we learn? Let's, let's finish this up and let's just kind of try to draw out some of the lessons that I've, that I've mentioned along the way. I, I think the first thing we've got to recognize here is that sometimes, sometimes there are famines even in the promised land, okay? We, we've got to recognize that sometimes even when we're right where God wants us to be, things can go bad. We can have disease and struggle and difficulty and it's a famine and, it's a, and, and everything in us wants to run away. But we continue to trust in God. Sometimes bad things happen, and someday it will all be new, and there will be no more death or pain or mourning or crying. But sometimes, even when we are in the place where God wants us, there are famines. Second lesson, I think, is this. Any of us can fall. This is Abram, the father of faith, right? He is God's friend in the New Testament. Those are the two titles that are given to him. He is full of faith, and yet he falls. And if you don't think you can fall, then, my friend, you are ready right now to fall. One of the things alcoholics have learned is, is you say, I'm an alcoholic. Not I was, but I am. And I am always tempted, and I will always have to be on guard. Friends, I'm a sinner, and I am, and I'm always tempted, and I always have to be on guard. Any of us can fall, okay? Any of us can do, do that. Third, we most often slip away from God a little at a time. Watch those little compromises. Watch those little behaviors. Nip them in the bud, okay? Grab them early. Stop them as best you can early. Otherwise, you end up in places. Again, I've never talked to anybody. I've talked to a lot of people who've had affairs. Never talked to anybody who said, I started and I knew I was going to do this. It's always, I don't know how I got here. I, I, I've learned when I go to visit people in prison, I've shared this before, I've learned when I go to people, visit people in prison, I don't ask them anymore, what were you thinking? They weren't. They weren't thinking. And it was just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, and pretty soon they had embezzled $100,000. And they're in jail. We most often slip away from God. And then the most important lesson, the most powerful lesson, the one we have to hold on to, is this, even though we fail, God doesn't, okay? Even though we fail, God doesn't. God comes through. God is faithful, and God will make all things new. And, and, and so at the heart of it, what I want to say this morning is this, we can trust God even when things are falling apart. 
God doesn't let go of us. God doesn't just give up on us. God doesn't just ignore us. He comes after us and he rescues us. But we are damaged and we hurt others. And so more and more I want to say, God, teach me to trust you even in the famine. God, teach me to trust you wherever we are. Teach me to trust that you can take care of me even when it feels like I need all of the outside security the world can offer me. We can trust him. So tomorrow when you're there with your family and you're tempted to just explode in anger at somebody because they're not getting it, say, God, I'm going to trust you to take care of that and I'm going to act in love. Tuesday when you go to work and you're tempted to cut a corner, say, God, I'm going to trust you to make sure that I don't lose my job and I'm going to do the right thing. We can trust God even when things are falling apart. Let's pray together. Father, uh, this is a story that hits some of us too close to home. We don't intend to end up in some of the places we end up, but we do. Father, thanks for your amazing grace. Thanks for forgiving us. Thanks for not leaving us in Egypt. Thanks for not letting us go where we end up going. But thank you for, for rescuing us. Thank you ultimately for Jesus Christ and the rescue we have in him. But Lord, give us courage and strength to dare to trust you to learn more and more, to put our lives in your hands, to surrender all, to give our lives to you so that others may see you in us, so that others may know you in new and deeper ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.